Hey there, thanks for joining us for today's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you're here. You're about to hear an incredible message from our pastor, Terry Haight. But before we get started, we'd like you to consider partnering with us. Our heart is to spread Jesus' message of hope to the world. If you'd like to sow into that mission, please visit hermesonassembly.com and click the Give button. Thank you so much for your generosity. Now enjoy this message. I want to speak to you today out of this story. It's a, it's a well-known story. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. As you're turning to that, I'm going to ask Miss Nikki if she'll join me up front here today. I'm not putting her on the spot. I gave her about an hour notice on this, so I'm really good at that. And, uh, but the first Sunday we talked about ships that never sailed. Last Sunday we spoke about um, the need for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I've asked her to come, and I know there's some others out there, but I'm gonna, I've asked her in particular today, and I'm, I'm probably going to ask others in the future, but to share, uh, because I don't know if, if, if we, the church, realize the necessity of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the necessity of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Um, we, uh, we, for the most part, we're just trying to pull with our own strength but God says here, I've given you a gift, and I want you to receive it. And, uh, and, and so I've asked her to come and just describe the day you received the baptism and what impact has it made on you since then. Okay. Um, so I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was junior high, high school age at youth group. I remember um, up there praying, and I was like, oh, I really want this. Like, I wanted it so bad. And everyone around, around me was you know, receiving the spirit, the gift. And I was like, I was kind of getting a little discouraged. So then I just, you know, he said, just worship. It's just worship. That's all it is. You know, a lot of times we focus on the words. I get the words. And um, I just remember just worshiping, and this word just kept coming to me. And I'm like, okay. But then I just kind of ignored it. And then it came back. And then it just kept coming and coming. And at first I was like, Lord, is that me making up words, <laughs> trying mumbly words? But it wasn't. And then I just kept praying, and, and it just, like it says in the scripture that, um, you know, you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And I just felt this inside of me. <laughs> and um, even that when I pray, like when I try and pray, I know I'm praying for something, and I just, with my own words, I can't seem to. So I just start praying in the Spirit, and I just, like I said, I feel that power. And I, and I trust, and I just know that, I don't know, it's going to be okay. And like I was telling Pastor, um, for those of you who don't have the Spirit, well, just think of it like this. It's like cake. Everyone likes cake, right? Mm, cake's good, right? Unless you have diabetes and you're not supposed to eat it. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, so your Christian walk is sort of like having cake. But when you add frosting on your cake, it makes it ten times more, Right? much better. Mm, lots of frosting. Well, if you like it. So it's kind of like the Holy Spirit in your life when you, you know, you have your Christian life and then you have the Holy Spirit in your life. It adds 10 times more the flavor, the, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but anyway, grandma told me that. Grandma Griffin back there. So <laughs> that's how I always remember it. And I just, I don't know. I just, like I said, it power. I just, and in my own life, in my own circumstances, just going through something at work, when I don't know what to say, I'm walking through the halls. I just pray in the spirit. And it doesn't even have to be like blah, 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 out loud. It can be in your head. Like I'm in the patient's room with the patient and they may be telling me like a sad story and 
I'm just sitting there praying for them in the spirit. They don't, you know, they may not know it. There's times where I take time to pray with them. But anyways, I just, you don't have to feel bad if you don't have it. it it'll come. But, you know, just know it, it's like that frosting makes it ten times better for you. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you so much. Amen. I'm going to refer to her in just a moment. Let's look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Do you have it? If you have it, say amen. I want everybody, if it's a mobile device or your actual Bible, physical Bible, please, I want you to follow with me. And this is the word. It says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. And now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And all the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Where, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, How can this be that even the wind and the seas obey him? How can this be that even the wind and the seas obey him? So in the last few weeks, a few weeks ago, we talked about ships that never sail. Why? Because we make unholy alliances. God has created us for gold. He's created us. Jehoshaphat was commissioned, commissioned his boat makers to make boats that would go to a place called Ophir. I even found Ophir again in uh, another passage where it was a place known for having a lot of gold and people were going there to mine that gold. And, and yet God, the Bible says in that chapter that we read that God destroyed the boats because he had made an unholy alliance. And so some of the unholy alliances we make are these. One whole unholy alliance means that we make unholy alliances with life's storms, circumstances, we're in the harbor, and a storm blows in, and we begin to agree with that storm. We begin to agree with that report, that title, that image that has been put on us. We begin to agree to say, well, I've done something to deserve this. And, and so we call that an unholy alliance, rather than agreeing with what God's word says. Secondly, there, don't think that the enemy doesn't have your number that there's not an assignment on you, that the enemies won't want to come into your harbor and to destroy your boat. And we have, to, we, have to, we have to discern the difference between God's voice and the enemy's voice. And then, of course, there's our voice. Thirdly, self-will. I think that's probably one of the greatest struggles. We blame so much on the devil when, in reality, we have created our own circumstances. And so... We make alliances. We, 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 we rather choose our will over God's will. Our way over God's way. And then last Sunday, if you recall, we, I began to emphasize once again, Jesus told the disciples, 
you know, talking about this power, this presence, and I so appreciate how Miss Nikki described the power of God, the presence of God, how to operate it, how it impacts our daily life. In Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, I am going to send you, send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Tell your neighbor, stay in the city. Stay in the city. Stay, go to that place. In other words, continually pursue that place as Miss Nikki did and pursue it until, some, until you receive that promise. And as you remember last week in the upper room, the Bible says there were 120 in the upper room and there were 120 that were filled with the Spirit of God. It wasn't 119, 115, or 90. 120, all that were in the upper room that had stayed and waited for the 10 days between Christ's ascending to heaven and the outpouring of God's promise, the Holy Spirit, all 120 had flames on their head. There's a flame for every head. Say it with me. There's a flame for every head. And you no longer have to wait on God for this. He's waiting on you. It's no longer it's no longer his choice. He chose when he would send it. You now choose when to receive it. Amen? You now choose when to receive it. It's not up to him. I've talked to so many people on the street and say, hey, you know, are you born again or do you know if you're going to heaven? And so many people tell me, well, I'll let God make that choice when I get there. I'm like, I'm sorry, but it's your choice. And the same is true with God the Holy Spirit. It is your choice. It is, is based on your hunger or your desire uh, to receive what God has. And, and, and as Nikki said a moment ago, not to focus on the gift itself, but rather the giver, Jesus Christ. The Bible says, John the Baptist said, there's one coming after me that will baptize you. I baptize you in water, but there's one coming after me that will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Fire. Fire purges, fire makes new, fire transforms. And so we now see here that we look at this storm. Now, I want you to turn to a neighbor and just say, you know what, the Holy Spirit's for me. The fullness of it. Amen? In other words, that when, and keep these things in mind, as you read God's word, some, some simple things to keep in mind about God the Holy Spirit. Number one, he's a gift. Uh, he's not just a force and not just power, he's a person. He's a gift. And not only is he a gift, but Jesus commanded us to receive that gift. In that scripture I read in Luke 24, he didn't make the suggestion. He said, don't go anywhere until you've received the promise of the Father. In fact, if they had decided to go on into the Great Commission, it, rather than it being a Great Commission, it would have been a great flop. They would have not gotten out of town. They would have not even uh, saw, I don't even believe that they would have seen their first miracle if they had not experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They would not have been able to witness God's power and presence. You see even, we'll make comparisons, but before Pentecost and after Pentecost, there was a transformation that took place. And so the word says here, he's a gift, it's a command. He, he, uh, 
when we receive the Holy Spirit, it ties us to heaven. It's amazing how when you are praying in the Spirit, that it takes your attention off of self and puts it on heaven. Does that make sense? That's what worship does. It takes your attention off self and it puts it on Christ. It puts it on God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's where our attention is supposed to be. When, we, when Jesus prayed the prayer, heaven on earth, he said, pray this prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be the name. Thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is heaven realized? It's realized when we are praying in the Spirit. This Holy Spirit's for every believer. And of course, there's fruit. Galatians 5.22 says it this way. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all fruits. We can even say it this way. Talking about the fruit of the Spirit, we can say Jesus is love. And Jesus is peace. And Jesus is forbearance and all of these gifts here. And so looking back to the story we just read, the Bible tells us that Jesus had been teaching. In fact, there's two different stories. One, one talking about uh, how he had told them to launch into the deep, or he, he, he was in the boat with them, and they were out in the deep. And then there's another story. They had just fed 5,000 people, and he told them to go from this side of the lake to the other side of the lake, and a storm blew in on that occasion as well. And so in this particular story, Jesus is with them, and this is the first storm that blew in. And they went out on the Sea of Galilee, and they were going to go to the other side. How many of y'all know we have a a goal in mind. We have a destination. There's a purpose for where we're going. We're not just meandering through life. So often we're just, we get up for the day and we say, well, I guess we'll see what happens today. And we have no sense of purpose or direction. We just take life as it gives it to us. When in reality, Jesus says, no, I have divine appointments ready for you. I have an assignment for you. There are people I want you to pray with, people I want you to, to serve or to bless or to, be, to show kindness to or to, to, to show the love of God to. There's an assignment. I want you to go from here to the other side. And the word says that when they got out on the lake, and this is commonly known among those who study even the Sea of Galilee, and keep in mind, these guys are fishermen, and they should know what it means to sail boats and and, uh, and what the weather, and predicting weather, but it was, it's quite common that when you go on the Sea of Galilee that it could be bright and clear skies, no clouds, and maybe an hour later, all of a sudden a storm blows in. How often does that happen in life? You get up and you think everything is great, the day is looking good, and I haven't even got out of bed yet. And yet, you go about your day and a storm blows in. Something happens, something unexpected. And Jesus, and the word says here that, of course, the disciples began to cry out. Where was, you know, the, the, what gets me is this, is that the Bible says that the storm was so bad that water began to fill the boat. But Jesus was in the stern of the boat, laying on a pillow, and didn't even groan or roll over. Didn't even notice the storm. And one of the disciples cried out and says, teacher, don't you even care that we are 
perishing. And the word says they woke him up and he stepped out of the bow of the boat and the Bible says he, he commanded it, he took authority over it. He said, peace be still. Tell your neighbor, Jesus is in the boat. Jesus is in the boat. Now he gave the command for peace. We see here two responses. Number one, the disciples, what were they? They were, they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Because they were tied, and I want you to listen closely, they were tied to natural things. When you are tied to the natural, you will have fear. When you are tied or grounded to the things of this life, you will have fear. Jesus was grounded to heaven. And what, did he have fear? No. In fact, he was sleeping in the boat. The boat is rocking. The waves are piling into the boat. It's getting wet. He's on a pillow. He doesn't even budge until someone actually shakes him awake. And then what did he do? Not only did he have peace, but he commanded the storm to be still. He said, peace be still. How many of you know that peace is not an abstract thought or a feeling? Peace is the person, Jesus Christ. He's a person. And when you have Jesus in the boat, you will have peace. When you are tied to him, and this is where God the Holy Spirit comes in, he, God the Holy Spirit ties us to heaven. Because every time we pray in the Spirit, every time we worship in the Spirit, John the Revelator says, I was in the Spirit, in the book of Revelations, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. How many of you know that every day now is the Lord's day? We're to be in the Spirit every day, not just on Sundays, not just during prayer meetings, not just uh, in small groups, not just uh, when we're in a good mood, but rather we're to be in the Spirit from the moment we awaken until the moment you may even find yourself waking up in the middle of the night praying in the Spirit. Why? Because that is, that is our grounding. That is our point of reference. The Word tells us that we are now seated in Christ in heavenly places. You know, I've been on a different types of boats. Mark has taken me and some people out rafting, and there's that perspective. And then I've been out on a fishing boat or a whaling boat, and I've given you those examples. And, and, and while at times in rafting it's exuberating, but at times it's, it's like I'm scared to death. There's this one place on the Moppin, from Moppin coming down, the Deschutes, they call it the elevator. And every time we go by that, everybody's like, hey, let's go down the elevator. I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I do not want to do this again. I remember last year, and this is not, and, but I can't, you know, i got to be the man. You know what I'm saying? You know, everybody else is doing it. They're saying, hey, pastor, everybody else is doing it. I'm like, I know everybody else is doing it, but I really don't want to do this. Why? Because you jump in, and there's no bottom and as long as you're up in a raft looking down, you know, things are fairly tame and under control. You have something to hang on to. You have an oar in your hand. You, there, the, the chances of being dumped is slim if you've got a good guy in the, in the back steering that boat. But when you intentionally run out into the deep, there's no grade. It just goes, there's like no bottom. It just runs, it's like a cliff. And you go down and the water's ice cold and you come up and you're just sucking air 
and, and the waves are now above you rather than below you. You're connected to earthly things. At that moment, you're thinking, this seems bigger than anything else in my life right now. But when you're flying at, say, 38,000 feet, you know, uh, and you look down the same storm, it doesn't move you like it does when you're in the storm. Years ago, my wife used to fly back and forth, back and forth to Louisiana for college, so she had no problem flying until we went to the Philippines. And then we started island hopping from Manila, Cebu, Tacloban, various places. And, and because of turbulence and short flights, we never got up to the high places. It was always maybe a couple thousand feet. And usually it was just like this, coming into the airport, trying to catch a wind, trying to make sure we weren't going to go too far or off into the bush, into the side. And after that experience, she's like, you know what, I don't want to fly ever again if I don't have to. It's something when you're being, and that's why Ephesians tells us, Ephesians chapter 4, it says, don't be like children tossed back and forth, back and forth with every wave of doctrine. And it talks about even deception, how we cannot be deceived. But how are we going to do that? It's by having God the Holy Spirit, called the Spirit of Truth, in our lives. You may say, well, I'm getting along good without him then you're opening yourself up to deception. You're opening yourself up to emotional roller coasters. You're opening yourself up to uh, you being up one day and down the next. And that's not because you're bipolar. It's because the enemy is out to steal and to kill and to destroy. There are circumstances that arise that are bigger than you. But as, as the word says, the Christ that's in me is bigger than he that's in the world. And so the disciples here, they're screaming, they're saying, teacher, don't you know that we're about to perish? Don't you care? Why? Because their point of reference was the storm. His point of reference was heaven. And how was that? It was because Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep this in mind. Jesus, every act he committed came after his, bapt his water baptism and his filling of the Spirit on that day with John the Baptist. You don't see one miracle before. You don't see one word of prophecy that he gave before. You don't see any of that before that day. Upon that day that he got baptized in water and the Bible says the Spirit came down on him like a dove, from that moment forward, he began to walk in the Spirit, in the fullness of it. In fact, the Bible says he went into the wilderness for 40 days in Luke chapter 4 and came out, the Bible says, in the authority and power of the Holy Spirit. How did he come out in authority and power? It's because he was exercising it. And so I say that to say this. He will never ask us to go through something or to do something that he himself did not already do through the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, this word... Every time you read this word, realize this. It was written to people who presumably are filled with the Spirit. How many times have I been told, Pastor, this is just, it's just too, I can't do this. It's too much. You weren't meant to do this. You weren't meant to carry this on your own. If you feel like you're carrying, like the, the guys on the boat, if you feel like you're carrying the weight of the world, it's probably because you are. But when you begin to pray and you begin to say, I look to heaven, I begin to call on the name of Jesus, I, I, 
it's not by my might nor by my power, but it's by his spirit. In essence, what you're doing is you're casting all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Jesus cares for you. He's in the boat. But is he in control of your life? Is he your peace that overcomes any storm? Jesus even told us in the book of Luke chapter 17, he says, then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. In other words, Jesus is saying, storms will come. Things will happen. But how you, are, how, how you respond to it will greatly affect the outcome. If you are filled and being filled, Ephesians tells us again, it doesn't just say be filled with the Spirit, but it says be being filled. Meaning that, as Miss Nikki testified, there was that initial filling. And believe it or not, that's part of the salvation package. When Christ died and rose again, he not only died and rose again to save us from our sin, but he also died and rose again in order to send God the Holy Spirit. It's one and the same. It's synonymous. He's like, if you get, if you get this, you, you can have that. It's like buying a ticket on a cruise ship. If you buy the ticket for a room, you have access to all the anemones. You can go to the buffet bar anytime you want. Your kids can't scream, I'm hungry. And you say, well, why? There's the buffet. Go eat. So it is with the salvation package. He says he came and died and rose again, not only to give us salvation, but to give us the Holy Spirit. But he says, in this world, there will be offenses. There will be trials. There will be testings. There will be things that come. And I looked at, and you can turn with me to this, and this is the passage I want to conclude with. Mark chapter 13 Verse 3 through 13, I'm going to touch on a few things here. The word says, now he sat at the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, and Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And when will the si- And what will be the sign when these things will be fulfilled? And Jesus answering them said, take heed that no, no one deceives you. I've I've kind of touched on this already. He says, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will deceive many. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not doubt or do not be troubled. For such things must happen, but the end is is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. Have you all seen that in these days we live in? These are the beginning of sorrows. But watch out for yourselves. For, and this was a warning. He says, for they will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues. Talking about religious people taking believers, true believers to task. He says, you will be uh, brought before ki- rulers and kings for my sake. For a testimony to them. He's talking to men that he, is, that he is entrusting with the gospel and entrusting with God the Holy Spirit. He's saying, be careful, first of all, for deception. How are you going to know when deception is near? It's because that God the Holy Spirit is reminding you of everything that Jesus said. He's, he's saying, wait a minute. I know it sounds, sounds, something sounds right, but there's something 
a little stinky in this doctrine you're being taught. I remember as a kid, I was sitting in a church service, a very large church, grew up in a very two or 3,000 member church back in D.C. And I remember this uh, guest evangelist came and, uh, and this just happened to be this man's issue. This guest evangelist came and preached and my dad being a minister and he had a friend of him sitting next to him as well, the whole time my dad's whispering below his breath, he's like talking to his neighbor. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm thinking, dad, what are you doing? Uh, you, this is, you've taught us not to do that. We need to pay attention to the speaker. Well, the whole time what he was doing was he was realizing that what was being preached was not the gospel. In fact, Paul even said, the apostle, he says, if I bring you another gospel different than what you've already heard, do not receive it. If Terry Haight ever gets up here and preaches a gospel that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ, then don't receive it. But how do you know that? It's when you have the word and the spirit in your life. Amen? It's when you've been, because God the Holy Spirit says, or Jesus said, the spirit of God will remind you of everything that I ever said. How do you know what Jesus ever said if you're not in the word? If you're not consuming it, if you're not eating it, if you're not digesting it, if you're not saying, Lord, show me. If you're not communing, not just reading it, but communing with the author of the book. And the word says here, you will be brought before rulers and kings. And the gospel, and I love this part, for a testimony to them. Realize this, that whenever, that, that, that to the believer, we have a great hope and a future. I know that we look at the present state of our union. And things are just unexplicable. And yet God will use his church to be salt and to be light. God will use his church and he will, and he may even set some of you here today in front of kings, princes, presidents, senators, legislators. He may put some of you in front of men and women like that in order that you may be a testimony of the gospel. For what purpose? The word goes on to say, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. God sent us his word and sent us his spirit that this gospel would be preached. Why? To all nations, that they might be saved. To be preached that we might just live a comfortable life? No. To be preached that we would feel good about ourselves? No. But rather to be preached that none should be lost, but that all should be saved. Then the word goes on to say, but whatever, he says, and when you are arrested or whenever they deliver you up, do not be worried beforehand or premeditate on what you'll speak, but whatever is given to you in that hour, speak that, for it is not you who speak, but it's the Holy Spirit. Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, when you speak, speak as it were the very breath of God. Speak as if it were the very oracle of the Lord. You may say, Pastor, do I need the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. Do I need to be filled to overflowing? The answer is yes. Do I need that spirit of discernment? The answer is yes. 
Do I need the spirit of truth? The answer is yes. God never intended to send us to the world to do a supernatural work in our natural abilities. But he says, I send you out in the power and the authority of God, the Holy Spirit. You look at Peter, he was denying Jesus three times before, before Pentecost. Look at him on Pentecost. He preached to 3,000 or more and got saved. You look at Thomas. Thomas doubted whether he was risen again. History tells us that Thomas would go on to the nation of India. I had a teacher in college that he, my English professor of all things, he was teaching English. He was from a region of India where Thomas, the disciple, the apostle, the missionary, had went. He had once doubted, but having been filled with the Spirit, he went out and he began to carry that gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you go to that part of India today, there's a whole region that is Christian. Surrounded by every other God, yet in the midst of that, there's a bright light shining. Why? Because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand with me? Take that card you have today. I pray you've written some names down. If you haven't, go ahead and finish it up right now, if you will. But on that card, you're praying and saying, Lord, give me the words to say to these friends. Give me the words to say to these coworkers. Give me the words to say to my neighbor. Give me the words, it's an act of faith. It's an act of saying, Lord, I believe but I can't do without you. I believe, but I cannot speak without you. Amen? And in our closing today, I want to do this. I want you to take that card and just lay it on the altar and just say, I'm believing through the power of the Holy Spirit that these people will be saved. That by Christmas of this year, I want to believe that God will, that, that the the Bible says that no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws them, that God the Holy Spirit will draw them to a place of salvation, to a place where they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so would you take that card and just hold it high right now? Those cards as you fill them out. In fact, before this, before today, take time right now. I see some are not holding up cards. Take time today, write down names. This is not just a social experiment. This is eternity. Amen. And to say, Lord, I'm believing for their salvation. Amen. Take the hand of the one next to you right now as you hold that card up. And, and I want you to begin to pray over that card. Pray over those names right now, even as, I, even as we speak. Lord, I just thank you today. I thank you, Lord, for the power and presence and authority of God the Holy Spirit. And the message he brings is the gospel. It's Jesus. It is the good news. And we are praying and we're believing, dear God, for the salvation of those who are lost. Those who do not know you. Those who have not had an encounter with you. God, we're praying in Jesus' name that 
God, that every name we wrote down, we wrote down with intention. We're saying, Lord, this individual, I could never imagine them being saved, but I'm going to believe for their salvation. Or you're thinking of a family member that, that won't even come around you because of your testimony. But Lord, I'm believing, dear God, for their salvation. Lord, I'm believing for my loved ones and my neighbors, dear God, that they would accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so God, I pray in Jesus' name that, dear God, even as we as a body, as we commit to loving our city, dear God, that we're committing to the salvation of our city. We're committing to saying, Lord, we pray for our city to be saved in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Will you bring those cards down to the front and just lay them on the altar before you leave? And to say, Lord, this is my, this represents souls. These are people I'm believing for for, my, for salvation in my house. Thank you so much for everybody who's bringing down their list. Take that other card home with you. Have, make it your duplicate, duplicate list. Put it in your Bible, put it on the refrigerator, put it in your bathroom window, mirror, and begin to say, Lord, I'm believing. I'm believing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you today, saints. Have a marvelous day. Hug someone's neck. Greet someone. Love on somebody today before you go. Amen.